Pardon. Why don't you turn to somebody and say, my life is richer because you're here. Praise the Lord. Okay, I won't try to keep you too long. Just um, we'll try to get through this. That's okay. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. We just, um, Lord, we want to thank you and praise you for the day, Lord, and thank you for your incredible love for us, a love that we can't understand, a love that would cause you to come down from heaven, take for yourself a body like ours, and, uh, lay that body down in the cruelest way as a sacrifice for our sins. And thank God that you rose again because death could not hold you. Lord, we, all, we were all sons of Adam. You weren't. We all have to die. You didn't. But you gladly laid your life down and you took it back up again. And we thank you and praise you for that, Lord. And we we ask by your spirit, Lord, you speak to us this morning. You'd encourage us, Lord. You'd show us uh, what you want us to hear, what you want us to know, and what will make our walk a better walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, uh, let's go to 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 5. Starting at verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Sorry, is that one? First Thessalonians, Thessalonians 4. Sorry, did I say 5? First Thessalonians 4, 16. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. And with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air, or in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. So I've just comforted you with those words. It's funny how Paul said, we who remain, we who are alive and remain, counting himself as one who would. That's how imminent he thought 
these things were going to be. And it's 2,000 years later. Oh, the grace of God. 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this incorruptible must put on, for this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that was written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The New Testament is full from start to finish, brimming with that wonderful idea of the redemption of the body, the resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And it was such an amazing thing because it meant that if he rose from the dead, we would rise from the dead. And this theme runs through the New Testament. I just want to just highlight a few areas just to start with, and then we'll go to, an, to the, the next theme I want to touch on. In Ephesians 1.5, it said that God has predestinated us or predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. He's predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ. Okay, so predestinated means that a destination has been previously set for us. Now go to Romans 8.23. Romans Um, we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains, that's 22, together with until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, 
even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. The adoption, it says there, is the redemption of our body. But wait, if we go to verse 12 to 14 in Ephesians 1, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted. So you also trusted in him after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And he is our guarantee that we will inherit what God has for us. Our guarantee that we will see that physical adoption, that, that completeness that Christ has died for us to receive. The spirit of adoption we have right now. Let's look at how God looks at things. Just consider God as, as someone who has this piece of sheet that runs from eternity past to eternity future. And God stands above it and looks at it all. And time is just but a tiny beginning and end on that sheet. God sees all that happens from eternity to eternity now. He sees it all happening now. It's all happening right now for him. God is in the now, always. There's no future in God. There's no past in God. He inhabits the eternal now. Hard to understand, I grant it, because we have no grid for it. There's nothing that we can compare it to. God is just God. He knows the end from the beginning, the word says. So he's looking at our adoption as something that is so absolutely um, certain because he has given us his spirit who is the guarantee that we'll be adopted, that we are called the children of God right now. We are the children of God to God because he sees that adoption happening right now. It's happened to him. And we must start to live, like I said last time I spoke, from God's perspective. We must always see things the way he sees them. And we must start living in that new adoption. We are the children of God. It says now we are children of God. We don't know what we're going to be, but when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him like he is. 
So, what a wonderful thing to know that one day we will be getting new bodies. Now, you might think your body's okay. You might be on one end of the scale. And then on the other end of the scale, there are people who know they need a new body. And the Word of God, of course, says that in the twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed into that new spiritual body, the same body that Jesus Christ had after he rose from the dead. His resurrection is our resurrection. He is like the first fruits. You know, in some countries where they have actual seasons, um, some trees and, and, and some, some um, agricultural plants put forth our first fruits. And the very first fruit that comes on the tree shows that that tree is going to produce. So they bring it to God and they sacrifice it to him. But, and, and so we have received, Jesus Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection, it says. He's the first fruit that came onto the tree that we are a part of. And that tree is going to, we are part of that tree. We are the fruit of that tree. And we are going to rise again from the dead when we die. God is going to gather us all together and raise us up and give us new bodies. So with that in mind, and I hope it makes us uh, full of joy this morning because um, a new body is kind of like this eternal new body that can... What do we see? What are the attributes that Jesus showed after he died, after he rose from the dead? He was able to appear in a room um, without coming through the door. He was able to disappear in front of his disciples. Um, he could still eat and drink. It was a body. It wasn't. It wasn't just a spirit or a ghost. And um, I believe we're going to be able to fly through the atmosphere and out into the stars and who knows we don't know what god has in store for us but we'll have these new bodies and god will use us with these new bodies so what do we do with our old body while we're waiting what do we do with our old body while we're waiting for our new one Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. 
Some translations say your spiritual act of worship. Offer your bodies a living sacrifice. So we have these bodies now. We know we're getting new ones. You know what happens when you know you're getting a new one or something? When you really know you're getting a new one of something, when you know you're getting a new car, you you don't wash the old one like you used to. You don't clean out the middle of it and chuck everything out and make it look nice. You sort of neglect it a bit. Not that I'm saying you should neglect your body, but you're kind of looking forward to something new, aren't you? And Jesus says, okay, you're going to get these new bodies, but with these ones, you can glorify me. You can worship God to the fullest extent with these old bodies of yours if you'll just sacrifice them to him. If you'll just lay them down before Jesus on that altar and say, Lord, this body I have is yours. This body that I'm living in now belongs to you because I have the sure hope of resurrection. I have the sure hope that I will be clothed with a new body. My old body, Lord, is yours. The Word of God says, that the body is dead because of sin. We're dead people walking. It's just how it is. I was talking to somebody this morning and we were saying how we're seeing people we know going off into glory. And as you get older and older, it seems to happen more and more. And um, that's just how it is. It's just how it is. No matter how many vitamin pills you take, no matter how many times you go to the gym, it's going to happen. Unless the Lord comes back in the meantime. But you can't be sure of that, so. What's the old saying? Expect the worst, but hope for the best. So, Paul says, offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, for this is your spiritual act of worship. There's no worship unless this is the first thing we do. We can stand up here and sing and clap and raise our hands, but if our bodies don't belong to Jesus, there's no worship. That is the first act of worship, our reasonable service to God, is that we lay our, our bodies down for him, for him to use, for his glory. And so, how do we use our bodies for his glory? I'm glad you asked.
Romans 6, 12 to 13 says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, but offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Our body got us into trouble to start with because it did things that it shouldn't have done. Now, I know that the body is only a vehicle. I know the body is only a piece of flesh that is run by our soul. Our body does what our soul tells it to do. So it's the soul that needs saving. It's Jesus came to save our souls. And that soul will be put into a new body. That saved soul will be put into a new body. But the old body we use now, Jesus has, has revived our spirits. He has, uh, born, we're born again. Our spirits now are supposed to be the drivers of our souls, of our bodies, sorry, through our souls. And um, that spirit is so connected with the Holy Spirit that they are in, you can't tell them apart. Our body, our spirit and the Holy Spirit have come together and made, and we've become one in spirit with Christ. So the driving force in our life now is our spirit or the Holy Spirit. And he's the one who tells, who through our soul, who a driving force of our body, tells our bodies what to do. Now there's, there's like a hierarchy of faithfulness that God talks about in the Bible. And it's the simple idea that if you are faithful in the small things, you will be faithful in the big ones. He gives us small things to do so that he can then promote us up through the ranks. It's, it's just exactly like a job. You get a new job. When I, when I joined the bank years ago, I was the junior. And there's only one junior, and he gets all the horrible jobs. But after a while, if he proves himself, he gets a higher job, and there's a junior under him who he can kick around. But that's how it works with God. If you're faithful in the small things, he gives you bigger things to do. Now, I believe that the very basic things that we can do with our bodies while we're here is what the Bible tells us to do with them. We have this, this book of instructions that uh, we can, we, there's Bible everywhere in our homes, there's a dozen Bibles. And I believe we need to be people who read our Bibles because when we read our Bibles, we find out what we need to do. Because uh, James says, 
don't be just readers of the word, but be doers of the word. Because if you're just reading it and not doing it, you're deceiving yourself. So the very basic things that we can do are all set out for us in the Word of God. Things like prayer. It says, pray without ceasing. I was just reading about Smith Wigglesworth yesterday, and he said, he quoted, this is a quote, he said, I rarely pray more than half an hour, but I'd never go more than half an hour without praying. That impressed everybody? Okay. <laughs> Pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication with thanksgiving. Da, 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 da. Praying always. Prayer is, I believe, the most important thing we can do with our bodies while we're waiting for Jesus. If you can't do anything else, you can pray. And it's prayer that changes the world. There's not one problem this world has that can't be fixed by the church praying, I believe. Not one problem this world has that can't be fixed by a praying church. Just imagine if the whole church got to praying, how different this world would be. We'd be all in heaven already, I believe. But anyway. We can rejoice. As 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 17 says, we can rejoice, we can give thanks, and we can pray. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks always. Rejoice always. Give thanks in every situation. These are just small things that we can start doing. And the thing is, when we're doing them, and we're continually doing them, and we, we make a habit out of doing them, then God starts using us for bigger things. God starts speaking to us about other things. When you read the Word of God, it's God speaking to us. God is saying to us, rejoice always. That was the Thessalonian Scripture. There's, a, there's three more rejoicings just in the book of Philippians alone. Rejoice always. Yeah, but God, I don't feel like rejoicing. Oh, okay, you don't have to then. No. Rejoice. Ultimately, what have we to complain about? We're getting new bodies. Brand new bodies that are powerful, spiritual, never die, never, does no more disease, no more sin. completely under the control of, of the, the Spirit. 
just perfect bodies. What have we got to complain about? It's it's by faith, isn't it? We rejoice by faith. Hey, stuff goes on. We know things go wrong. Things go wrong. But if we rejoice, resentment can't get us. Resentment can't come near us when we rejoice. No bitterness can grow in the ground that's rejoicing. We can forgive each other. Nobody's perfect this side of the redemption of our bodies. Not one person is perfect. The only perfect person was Jesus. And you know, it's only that we we fail in different areas. And we judge people for their failures when we ourselves are failing in other areas. The best thing that we can do for our brothers and sisters is make sure that we are right with God. Not that they're right with God, but we are right with God. If we're right with God, then we've, we've taken that log out of our own eyes. And we've looked to be able to see the speck in theirs. But if we don't look after our own lives, we don't make sure we're right with God, then we've got this log in our eyes and we can't see to help our brother and sister. So the best thing we can do for our brother and sister is look after our own lives. Make sure you're right with God. Make sure you're walking upright with him. We can study the word. We can sit under the apostles' teaching. We can fellowship with believers. And we can, yeah, we can fellowship with believers. We can love one another. We can care about each other. And while we're doing these basic things, God might tell us to build an orphanage. Or God might tell us to go and preach the gospel to some tribe in Africa or something. We've got to be walking forward. We've got to be moving forward. We can't be sitting down in our old bodies waiting to die so that we'll get a new body. God wants us to give him our old bodies. While they're old bodies, while they're the ones that are going to die, the ones that are going to run down and turn back to dust, we can offer them as a sacrifice to him. What an amazing God we have. He will take those wretched bodies. The Bible says they're vile bodies because they're so corrupt compared to God and his beauty and, and perfection. Our bodies are, you wouldn't think he'd accept it, but he would, he will. He'll take our bodies if we put them on the, on the uh, altar. And in the negative, we can stop doing things that we know we shouldn't be doing. We can put away our sexual immorality. If we're watching pornography, stop it. 
and offer your body to God, offer your eyes to Jesus. If we're getting drunk, stop it. Give your bodies to Jesus. Live for him every single day. Live for his glory. There's no other life. Every other life. Peter says it perfectly. He says, enough time has passed where we walked in the way of the Gentiles. That's another way of saying we walked in sin. We walked in just following after the desires of our own flesh. Enough time has passed. What, What fruit has been born from that? Nothing. What benefit have you ever got from those things that you used to do? He says nothing. The best thing you can do is lay your life on the altar, lay your body on the altar. Lay your body on the altar and give it to Jesus. And he will take it and he will use it for his glory. We must let go of it. When you put something on the altar, you can't snatch it back off again. You can't put something on the altar like a good piece of meat. Remember they used to burn the meat? Looks like a beautiful shoulder of lamb or something. You can't grab it off again and say, oh, that's, that's, that's a really nice piece. I'll put this bit of fat on. No. Once you, once you lay yourself on the altar, that's where you leave yourself. You may have to do it every day. You may have to do it 10 times a day. But it'll eventually you get used to it. You'll be saying, God, my body is yours. Use it for your glory. And you won't know how to. You won't know how. You have to say, God, I don't know how. Show me. Holy Spirit, lead me. Give me a grace, Lord. I need your grace. Just by faith. Just by faith. Lay your body on the altar and allow God to use you for his glory while you're still in this body. I think the greatest regret would be to get to the end of your life and you go, I wish I had done that for the Lord. I wish I hadn't sat down and wasted my life. I wish I had followed my heart, followed what the Lord had showed me and placed my body on the altar and sacrificed it for him because it's dead anyway. And I guess, in a sense, that's the gospel. The gospel is an exchange. Jesus came down to earth as a man. He lived among us, taught us how to live, taught us who God was, the Father was. And he was the Son of God. He was the second person of the Trinity who took upon himself the flesh and was sent down from heaven to be the the new man, the new race of people, to begin a new race of people on the earth. And he suffered and he died for our sins. He was our substitute. As the axe came down to our head, 
he put himself there and let the axe fall on him. That's our Jesus. And if we believe in him, the word of God says if we are in him, we are part of a new creation, a new race of people, a whole new race of mankind. And the word of God says, when we believe, he gave us his Holy Spirit. That promised Holy Spirit to guide us, to teach us, to lead us. And all it takes is for us to admit we are sinners. Admit we need a saviour. And by faith, believe in what Jesus did. If anyone is here this morning that has not given their life to Jesus Christ, it's time to do it. There's never a better time than now. You're sitting under the gospel right this moment. You're hearing the gospel. Jesus wants you to come and receive him. Receive all he's done for you. To trust in him that he will take you through to the end. And he will give you a new body when you die. So this morning, as we, as we spend some time singing, come singers, musicians, um, please come to the front. God is speaking to you about giving your heart to Jesus Christ, giving your whole life to him. It's not worth anything anyway. You may as well give it to him so that he can pardon you and give you a brand new life, brand new purpose, a brand new hope. There's nothing better than that. Purpose and hope is what the whole world needs. Father, we just give you thanks and praise for your incredible sacrifice for us. That you, Lord, would look upon us, mere humans, mere men. Why are you mindful of us, the psalmist said. But Lord, you, you loved us. You loved us so much that you gave your son for us to die on that cross, that by his death there could be made a way for us to come and seek you and find you and lay, lay our lives before you and say, Lord, I'm yours. Do with me as you will. Use me as you will, Lord. Thank you for that, Father. Thank you for the new life that we have in you. In Jesus' holy name. Amen.